0: This is BoroughCast from Scarborough Borough Council.
1: Hello and thanks for streaming or downloading this podcast from Scarborough Borough Council. This is the July edition of BoroughCast with me, Andy Carter, and Carl Gavanon, who's covering for Gabrielle this time. The long, if you are a parent, they may feel longer than they actually are, school summer holidays are just underway. Teachers everywhere will be excitedly celebrating the end of term or lying in a darkened room, depending on the kind of year they've had. At least it has cooled down slightly, which is good
2: news for some of us at least.
1: Anyway, here's what you can expect in this edition of Boroughcast.
2: We continue our focus on climate change, which means talking about electric bin wagons and chatting to the two councillors who want to drive down our carbon emissions. We have news of investment in Whitby, Filey and Scarborough. We hear from two young people we've helped to get on the career ladder And our Sounds of the Borough soundscape this month has a more urban feel.
1: But first, we're going to start with the issue of second and holiday homes in our borough. If you live in Whitby, you may have taken part, or at least taken an interest in, June's parish poll, partly focused on the issue of second homes and holiday lets. The question was, should all new build and additional housing in Whitby Parish be restricted to full-time local occupation as a primary residence only and forever. More than 2,000 people who took part in the poll said yes. The issue of second homes and holiday lets and the poll attracted a lot of media interest and sparked a comprehensive debate. Of course, the poll was not legally binding on any organisation, but it is good that local people were able to make their views clear. Our council leader, Steve Siddons, was asked about this very issue in the latest edition of our sister podcast, In Conversation
3: With. Here he is talking to Gabrielle Janzio. We're having more and more properties rented out to the holiday sector, and the Airbnb uh, coverage of this area is quite significant and particularly in some of the smaller places like Robin Hood's Bay and and even Whitby. Uh, And there's recently been uh, a a lot of press coverage of of Whitby residents wanting some kind of scheme to try and help them there. Um, So I would like to see uh, an extension of that scheme to, to make licensing of Airbnb type properties mandatory. But that requires government to legislate on that. That's not something we can do. But wherever I get the opportunity, I'm raising that with uh, with ministers and uh, and civil servants.
4: Yeah,
0: that's really good to hear, Steve. Because I think you know, as we, we've talked, you've sort of alluded to there. Um, you know, it's been very topical at the moment, um, both in the national and regional and local media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously residents make it, making their feelings um, quite strongly felt. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to hear that these are the sort of angles that are being explored. And if there's any way that, you know, local councils can actually help to push that agenda forward, that's that's really good to hear.
2: Yeah. The problem of second homes was also the subject of two questions in the In Conversation With podcast. This is the first, as read by Gabrielle.
0: What is the council going to do as a result of the parish poll in Whitby?
3: I welcome the the interest that the parish poll has created I think that it, it's important that people's voices are heard and uh, and I and I would would support uh, them doing that we need legislation to actually make those changes it's not something that is within our power to do there is nothing to stop anybody opening an airbnb subject to if planning stops it for some reason, but, but that's quite rare. Normally people who have a property can open it as an Airbnb and you can understand why, given COVID and staycations and and the price that people are able to charge for, for this accommodation, you can understand why it's become attractive. But I think that it is important that we try and get some kind of licensing scheme up and running for Airbnbs and similar properties and then that gives the council some control over where is appropriate to put one and where isn't because you get lots of problems it's it's not just housing it's not just people or local people not being able to rent properties it's problems with parking in streets it's problems with noise and antisocial behaviour, people coming for the weekend and thinking they can really whoop it up where next door somebody's trying to get to sleep to get to work the next morning. It's all those things and and we recognise them.
2: Last month, North Yorkshire County Council has debated and agreed to the idea of introducing a council tax premium for owners of second or holiday homes. This has since been postponed while the county council carries out further work to see whether a premium would work in practice. Judging by the resulting media coverage, it would appear owners of second homes are not happy with the prospect of being, as they see it, penalised. Councillor Siddons was asked on our sister podcast whether he endorses the County Council plan to force second homeowners to pay a premium in a question from listener Susan.
3: Straight answer, no, I don't. I think it's ill-thought-out. I don't think it's really going to change anything. When people are renting out their properties at £150, £200 a night, I'm not sure doubling the council tax is really going to make that much difference to those businesses. If we had a proper licensing scheme, then we could monitor and measure the number of properties that there are, put some criteria down so that everyone understands what that criteria is and and operate within those boundaries.
2: That was Councillor Steve Siddons, the leader of the council. You can listen to the full edition of In Conversation With by visiting scarborough.gov.uk forward slash podcasts where you can download or stream all our content. If you have a question for the leader in his next podcast, send it, along with your name and where you live, to podcasts at scarborough.gov.uk.
1: Let's talk investments now, and there are three schemes to bring you up to speed with this month. We're going to start in Whitby, where a project to transform community facilities and establish a boxing club... Has reached a significant milestone with the erection of steelwork to create a new building. It's been constructed next to Eastside Community Centre and will be home to the Boxing Club. The project is part of the Town's Deal programme, which will see us invest more than £17 million in Whitby. At Eastside, our £823,000 contribution to the project is being topped up with funds from Sport England and Anglo American. As well as the new boxing club, a second phase of works will see the existing community centre upgraded with changes to the internal layout and an extension. It's hoped the boxing facilities will be open in the autumn. The town's deal programme in Whitby is overseen by a group of independent business and community leaders and is chaired by Barry Harland from
2: Whitby Seafoods. Next, we have a final reminder if you want to influence an investment plan for Filey. The town was never selected by the government to be part of the Town's Deal initiative, unlike Whitby and Scarborough. That's why we've put aside £1 million from our own funds to support a separate plan of investment in community facilities. This year we've been working with Fireley Town Council and asking local residents where they'd like the money spent. We've held face-to-face meetings and virtual events. So far, the feedback points towards changes that would support and improve the quality of life for young and old, support businesses, and to better manage and improve the experience of visitors. Our master plan will be a 10-year vision for Filey, which is locally owned by residents and businesses, which reflects all aspects of the community. Our final consultation push has been taking place this month, and our online survey is still open on our website, so you can add your views. There's a link to the survey page in the description box for this podcast. You'll need to be quick, though, as the deadline is August the 1st, so there's a chance it will have closed by the time you listen to this podcast. A final report on the filing master plan is due to come to a meeting of our cabinet in September.
1: The transformation of Scarborough's North Bay is out of the starting blocks after approval was given to sell the site of the former indoor pool to a local businessman. Nick Thomas put forward plans for a £15 million hotel where the pool once stood in Rindle Crescent. These were presented to a meeting of our cabinet on the 26th of July. Well, Carl, you've been looking into more detail in this story, so tell us what is the proposal?
2: Through his business, QDOS Entertainment, Mr. Thomas wants to build a 100 bedroom facility, including several suites, both with and without sea views. On the ground floor, there would be a bar, restaurant, and meeting space. Um, the hotel would create around 120 new jobs and provide an estimated 70,000 additional overnight bed spaces per year, contributing an extra £3.4 million to the local economy. Pitched as a four star plus hotel, the facility would be promoted as a destination venue, which, Mr. Thomas says, would not be in direct competition with nearby establishments. The investment would be privately funded.
1: OK, then, so why a hotel there and not, perhaps, say, a, a supermarket?
2: Simply, a shortage of higher quality accommodation in Scarborough has been highlighted in several previous studies, not least the recent visit economy strategy from 2020. The North Bay Master Plan, which was agreed by our Cabinet at its meeting on July the 1st, also includes an ambition to improve facilities for visitors and residents. A hotel is considered to be complementary to the overall vision for North Bay. It would be the first significant piece of the master plan to come to fruition.
1: So for our listener then who isn't familiar with
2: this part of Scarborough and North Bay, what's the history of this site? The indoor pool closed in 2017 when the new facilities opened at the Weapon S Sports Village and permission to demolish the building was granted in 2021. Work to clear the site started earlier this year. Are there any
1: negatives to this then?
2: Not really. This would be a significant boost for the North Bay However, the proposal would mean the loss of some car parking, but this would be mitigated by making greater use of an overspill parking area opposite the proposed hotel. The North Bay master plan also includes potential for a multi story car park on the former Atlantis site, which would provide more spaces than would be lost at Rindle Crescent.
1: Okay, this all sounds good. So when will the hotel be built?
2: It's too early to say. I should stress the redevelopment of the former pool site is subject to planning permission being granted. Our councillors didn't approve the hotel plans at the meeting of the Cabinet, but they did approve the sale of the site. There'll be a period of statutory consultation as part of the planning application process, and if approved, Mr Thomas has suggested the hotel will be open in three years. Carl, thanks very much. You're listening to Boroughcast, a podcast from Scarborough Borough Council.
1: Let's take a short break from news now to bring you the part of this podcast which you can contribute to. In fact, it completely relies on your input. We're calling it the Sounds of the Borough. If you're familiar with the principle of slow radio or you listen to Paddy O'Connell on Radio 4 on a regular basis, you'll know what this is all about. Our borough, of course, is visually stunning, but it's also audibly interesting too. This month's soundscape was recorded by Tim Birkenshaw, who emailed to say he stopped to capture the sounds around him outside the Brunswick in Scarborough in June. Two things to say about that recording, I think. One, I wonder what the two people at the beginning were talking about. And two, that horn noise suggests the vehicle was in the shopping area when it shouldn't have been. So Tim may have inadvertently captured an offence in progress. Anyway, if you'd like to submit your own sound of the borough recording, please send it to podcasts at scarborough.gov.uk.
2: Other news now. A £33 million bid to improve Scarborough and SEMA railway stations is being submitted. SEMA station would benefit from a £25.2 million upgrade with a new pedestrian and cycle link connecting the station to residential sites in the west. There would also be a new footbridge across the railway line and A64, including lifts to platforms one and two and a new station car park to the east of the track onto the A64. The scheme would improve safety, enhance access to workplaces and increase station passenger demand. At Scarborough station, a transport hub would be created to help regenerate the station reinvigorate a historic part of the town and strengthen connections between the station, town centre and seafront. The £8.4 million investment is part of our wider Towns Deal project to transform the whole area around Scarborough Railway Station. North Yorkshire County councillors agreed earlier this month for the application to the Government's Levelling Up Fund and if the bid is successful, it's hoped that work on the schemes could begin before the end of March next year.
1: Meanwhile, more help is on offer if you or someone you know is struggling with the cost of living. A second phase of a scheme called the Household Support Fund is being launched to provide a one-off payment in supermarket e-vouchers to pay for food and other essentials. If your household is eligible for the support, you will have received a letter. It explains what you need to do to submit a claim and how to use the e-voucher. The fund was initially designed to help people meet essential living costs over the winter, More than 9,000 households with children across North Yorkshire were helped at the time. The latest round of funding will reach a broader range of people in the county and should reach about 25,000 households, including this time pensioners and working-age people without children. You can find out more about the Household Support Fund and check the eligibility criteria on our website. We've put a link to that page in the description box for this podcast.
2: We turn our attention now to matters of climate change, an issue perhaps brought into sharper focus because of the extreme temperatures the UK experienced this month. In the last edition of Boroughcast, we told you about a trial we started of a replacement for diesel in our large fleet of vehicles. For 12 months, we were using something called HVO, a fuel made from waste oils and fats. It will drastically reduce our carbon emissions from our fleet by as much as 90% in some cases, and has fewer particulates and nitrogen oxides. In another development, we've been loaned a fully electric bin wagon. The vehicle was supplied by manufacturer Dennis Eagle and is called the e The wagon is fitted with five packs of lithium ion batteries, which produce a combined 300 kilowatts of power. It fully charges overnight and in trials elsewhere in the country has worked double collection shifts with charge remaining in the battery. Our borough was more than a test for the vehicle because of the steep gradients that our diesel wagons must negotiate. The manufacturer is now assessing the data from the trial here. Councillor Michelle Donahue Moncrief is our senior councillor responsible for the environment and sustainability. And Councillor Tony Randerson has the cabinet portfolio for neighbourhoods. They are the joint driving force to bringing down our carbon emissions. Andy went along to the depot at Dean Road in Scarborough to meet them for a chat about all things climate. He began by asking Tony about his first impressions of the electric bin wagon.
5: Extremely impressed, obviously very, very quiet, and from a neighbourhood perspective. Certainly I feel that the residents, when these trucks are going around rather than banging clattering early, early hours of the morning, it will be a benefit to them. And it really does fit in nicely with our green agenda that uh, this administration suggested right from day one that we should go with. You're not put off
1: by the cost. The cost of going green on the bin wagons is prohibitively expensive and
5: so much more than a diesel unit.
1: Do you think that, that might get in the way of the thinking about how we go green?
5: My understanding is, having, having talked to the uh, uh, the people that's been uh, operating it, is that the cost associated for a diesel to fill up a diesel truck at the moment for just one shift is about £60, £70. Charging up for uh, electric vehicles, around £25. So I think the, the cost element, certainly uh, on a daily basis, is going to drastically reduce and maybe we'll get that, a lot of that money back in a short period of time.
1: Misha, we're also at Dean Road because we have underway a trial for 12 12- months. Months of a new type of diesel called HVO, which Cuts emissions on diesel vehicles by as much as 90% in some cases. What's your thoughts given that your portfolio is about the environment and sustainability, about the importance of these kind of trials?
0: Well, I think what's important about trials like this is what we need to look at, uh, obviously today we've been looking at the uh, uh, trialing an electric vehicle, but introducing new technology like that has got cost implications and it's a long-term project, so it will take uh, 10, perhaps 15 years to roll out as, as vehicles um, are retired from their working lives. So what it it offers us as an opportunity is a way of operating our existing uh, diesel fleet but by using the hvo fuel it means that we are buying time in terms of that transition so that we've got less carbon emissions but we can still offer the uh, refuse collection service that obviously the public uh, want us to do.
1: I also think it sets a really good example for other fleet operators, doesn't it? 60% of the fleet based here at Dean Road is now on this new fuel type. So we're sending a good message out to other fleet operators, buses, haulage firms as well, aren't we?
0: Yes, I mean, our job, obviously, one of the things we have at council has to do is that we have to show leadership. It's, I think, a lot sometimes in public life, it, it can fail to the public. It's uh, politicians or organisations are sort of uh, telling them what they should do, but not necessarily walking the walk. So I think it's important that... That not only that we uh, show some leadership on the issue but that also that we're honest about which technologies work which ones don't work and the fact that it's not actually a simple transition it will take time it does cost money and we need to understand that the, the, the barriers to that are in everybody's lives and so for the private citizen are just as much for um, local authorities as for government departments. You know, there are cost implications to this and we need to understand them and understand way. Also, it's, well, the more this technology rolls out, ultimately the costs then will be driven down, but we're still at the phase where they are still relatively high in comparison to the traditional uh, means of energy.
1: I should have asked this at the beginning, really. Why is the green agenda so important to your administration? Why is that so high up on the priority list?
0: Given where we live, by the coast, and everything else. Environment is important. I think people around here really invo- uh, really value the. Uh the places that they live, they love them and they care very deeply about them and they care about their, their futures. I think also from a, a policy point of view, clearly nationally we have got a drive for t- towards net zero, so it's important that we actually try and find those uh, routes through to net zero in a practical way that works, so actually it doesn't disrupt people's lives. Some things will be noticeable, but actually the key thing to this is that you actually get towards a uh, low carbon while actually delivering pretty much the same services and hopefully uh, n- not disrupt people's lives in the
5: process it's not just only in our interest it's in future generations interest to that green agenda i mean it's so vitally important that we look after this planet not just for ourselves but for our children our grandchildren and their children as well you know it's it's it should be top of the agenda of any local authority
2: Mm -hmm. that was councillor michelle donahue Moncrief and councillor tony randerson andy was asking the questions
1: Finally, in this episode of Boroughcast, young people from across the borough who have previously struggled to secure work have been given a helping hand to get onto the career ladder. We created 16 new roles and recruited 14 people to them after signing up to a national programme called Kickstart. The scheme was launched in 2020 and designed to help people aged 16 to 24 gain real-world job experience and training. It was open to people accessing universal credit and in danger of long-term unemployment. The programme lasts six months and all participants are paid while they work a minimum of 25 hours per week.
2: The young people are working across a range of roles in the council. They include finance, communications and marketing at Scarborough Spa, in the harbour team at Whitby, in tourism and the community sports team. One was even nominated for one of the council's internal staff recognition awards for his contribution to the parks team. As well as work experience, the Kickstart participants have had access to a range of training opportunities. Several have achieved qualifications in first aid, others have benefited from the presentation and public speaking training, and many have worked with the Yorkshire In Business team. Every participant has also been helped by a job centre work coach.
1: Since joining the scheme, one of the participants has secured a full-time job with us and another is being recruited to an internal role. A third, the first person to join us under Kickstart has secured a place at university to study a master's degree and a fast track route into social work. She beat off competition from several thousand candidates to get the university place. That person is Millie Store and we're about to hear from her along with fellow Kickstart participant Robert Humble, but we start with Alex from the job centre who explains what Kickstart is all about.
6: It was a good chance for a lot of young people to try a career whereas if they' were applying in the open labor market they'd be uh, quite far down the line of um, applicants so and it's, it's people who might have gone to maybe university been to college got an interest in um, a certain industry but not really having that chance to show themselves with the work experience so with this it was a six month placement at twenty five hours a week uh, national minimum wage so They've got the incentive in the financial incentive uh, to go in some of these industries and give it a go really, give it a real go and we've had some fantastic feedback.
0: It's been really helpful, I I graduated uni last year and I was really struggling to get out of hospitality, I applied for hundreds of jobs in admin, anything related to my degree really, couldn't get anything and then I applied for this one and it's been great, it's helped me find out what I wanted to do long term because I've got to work with the community and it's been really invaluable I'd say.
4: It's definitely helped me get a job, yeah, absolutely. In
5: what way?
4: Uh, just moving, it allowed me to get the job in the harbour and like, trained me up a little bit so I could get the actual job in the harbour, full-time one.
0: There's great training opportunities with, I'm going to do a presentation skills workshop, I've done some first aid training, I've done all the council's internal training, and it's, it's been helpful.
4: Really helpful. I went in, everyone showed me around in Whitby. Um, all really nice to me, great people. Uh, made it really nice for me and they were teaching me all sorts of stuff throughout things which
6: I've used now in my job. Even if they weren't successful on the Kickstart or they've been to a Kickstart and maybe not been taken on or whatever, they understand what happens in the council now and how to access these vacancies and having to speak to all the people from the council, how enthusiastic they've been about the placements, coming into our job centre, speaking to them on one-to-one basis, going, going that extra mile as well just to get the right candidate. I've got a routine. So first thing
4: I do is sign in then go to the watchkeeper's hut. Then I wash down the market. Then I change the weatherboard. Then I uh, move the bins depending on the day, if it's uh, Monday or Friday. Um, Then I will go painting some bollards or railings or whatever needs painting. Um, Then I'll go weeding, um, down whichever pairs need weeding, Um, litter picking if it needs it and stuff like that.
5: We did a couple of mock interviews and some of them, when they first came to us, had nothing to talk about whatsoever really struggled to find anything positive to say about themselves now you can't show them up that's fantastic, which is wonderful that's yeah. what we want
1: you heard there from kickstart participants millie and robert at the very beginning it was alex and at the very end gary who are both from the job center in scarborough before we go let's look ahead to next month's podcast which will be published towards the end of august We hoped in this edition to bring you news of the Sunshine 2 project to spruce up some of our seaside towns and tell you more about the Maritime Training Hub in Whitby. We've not been able to do that, but we promise we will in the next edition. In the meantime, thank you for listening. From Carl. Goodbye. And from me, Andy. Goodbye.
5: For more
0: news and information about the services we provide, visit scarborough.gov.uk.